Metal Lunatics, this is John Gallagher from Raven, and you are listening to Focus on Metal! Hey, listeners, Scott here. And Richie. And welcoming you to that which we like to call Focus on Metal. And, yep, two weeks in a row, Richie in the studio, very happy about that. And uh, we got a great interview that uh, Richie did with Brian Tishy. And, uh, I mean, Brian has done, uh, done a million things, right? Always doing something. I'm thinking, what's his first thing? Was that was Pride and Glory like the first time his head popped up into the, the big be- scene? I believe so. Yeah. I believe so. I think they're reissuing that. Are they? Deluxe version or, yeah, because oh. it's 25, Jesus, is it 95? Uh, Does it I don't know. It all blends together. Years? It all blends together, man. I know. I, but, I, uh, I can't count the fucking 20. But yeah, we've got Brian on the show, so I, I know I've I've heard him on other shows and stuff too. He's always a pretty good interview. Same same with you as well. But uh, he's got a, a brand new, call it a project. We call it a project. I think talked he talked a lot about touring possibilities. Well, they've they've uh, they played shows, yeah. so I'll call him a band. Okay, all right. Um, so yeah, he's, he's out there. We've got another thing going together, and it's going to be talking to Richie all about it this week. So uh, that's uh, good stuff this week from uh, from Brian Tishy. But uh, we haven't had a little bit of discussion for a while, and I know uh, I got a few topics. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, well, we'll go with one of yours. Why not? Okay. Um, Wasp have announced a tour. They have, today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're playing the f- songs off the first four records. Uh-huh. And, of course, there's no U.S. dates as really? well, as of when we're talking. Yeah. Ah, oh, suck. Um, but, but they haven't played the U.S. in a long time. No, they. they you're, you're right. And, and was it was it Band versus Brand? I'm trying to think when Blackie was talking about that and about where they play and why they play. I think it was on, I think it was on Bob Nelbandian's band versus band or band versus brand. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, some of their albums weren't even released in the US. I remember Dominator was one of them. Yeah. They even got a US release. Didn't it's he, almost like they were the, they were, it's almost like they were the one band that actually got hurt by the PMRC. I they? mean, I don't know. I mean, all I the other I bands, I mean, so. people were scooping up the albums because of the sticker. Oh, I, I mean, granted, I'm maybe at that point in time with that era, maybe Animal Fuck Like a Beast was a little bit too over the top, but still. <laughs> That's probably the one song he won't play when they play the early stuff. I think he's denounced that song, really. He's actually denounced some of the early stuff. Yeah. Um, It'll be interesting to see now if he... If he pulls any of that up and, 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 yeah. and plays it. Um, it's like Megadeth. Was it The Conjuring? Yeah. They wouldn't play it for a long time. And uh, Right. Have they played it recently? I, I think they might have. I don't know. Mustaine said something yeah, about the lyrics. Yeah, goes against and, his faith. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know Blackie is uh, he's a born-again yeah. Christian. And all you got to do is read the lyrics for his, from his last couple of records. Right. Golgotha and... and uh, was the one before? I can't remember the name, but, but um, yeah, it's interesting. That, but it's uh, what? It's like what seventy-five dates, I think, or something like that. There's a lot of shows. Yeah. Um, at, at first, when I saw the announcement, I thought they were basically trying to take the the, the piss out of uh, the the latest Kiss announcement when I saw that. Because <laughs> was isn't the because I I, I I don't know maybe I got it wrong, but I thought he, they announced like seventy-five dates, and then Kiss announced like seventy-five more dates, and I thought, okay, he's just taking the piss. The last time I saw Wasp was in Dublin before I moved here, uh-huh. and uh, they were excellent. Yeah, um, I'm looking now at recent stuff I've seen. There's of course the lip syncing thing uh-huh. where he was blatantly caught. <laughs> he was he was like a yard away or two yards away from the mic and the vocals kicked in. If he was So he the, timed it wrong. If it was still classic Kerrang around they would have called him Blackie Lipless. Yeah, and it's it was dreadful. <laughs> um if if he starts pulling that I'm yeah. like, re, re, just stop. That's kinda sad. You gotta, the lead singer's gotta sing like uh-huh. Yeah. Um you know, I I can criticize 
you know, Paul Stanley and I can criticise this footage there, John Bon Jovi butchering songs, but, you know, I can say, on the other hand, he is trying to sing it. It is him. Yeah. It's not a tape. Right. Um, will they play the US? I don't know. Uh, you, I mean, now that you now that you reminded me about it, probably not. Did he fuck himself over here with the mic stand and all that doing shows? Maybe the, maybe the promoters just won't touch him anymore. Remember he had that big fucking handlebar mic stand oh, here yeah. and it was he, he, he turned up at some venues and you know he, he wouldn't play because they said it was too heavy for the stage and all that kind of shit yeah. so he just didn't bother playing yeah. didn't he pull all that shit over here I mean he might have I think a lot of those promoters are probably not even in the biz anymore so maybe he's just being I don't know smart about it and saying alright I'm just going to play where I know I can get an audience where would he what size venues would he sell out here would he would Wasp sell the Palladium which is about a thousand. Would it do House you know of Blues? What? They probably would. Now, if I think about it, they probably would because they're not here that often. It's like Man of War. Maybe. It's it, it. It would be. It couldn't be a weeknight. They won't do it on a weeknight. On a weeknight, maybe the front room, but not the big room. Okay. It would have to be a weekend night, and then maybe you could get the hardcore, old school fans out there and mass but i can't see that f- group of people selling out the main room on a weeknight it would have to be the front room mm. otherwise it'd be like club c360 <laughs> your favorite <laughs> club <laughs> oh don't go there yeah um but they're only playing stuff from the first four records so that's that's uh that's a draw yeah yeah um i mean yeah there's a there's a that, the idea of doing that that's definitely a draw i just think Again, it's going to be, it's going to be those really faithful fans. Otherwise, you're going to get just the oh wow, Wasp is coming around. All right, you know, and then it's going to be oh, it's a Thursday. Oh fuck, I'm not going. Oh, it's a Friday or Saturday. All right, yeah, we'll go. So I, I think that would be the difference. They don't, they don't even do the likes of M3 or no. any of the cruises. They do they nothing. Well, I don't think they would fit with M3. Um, I don't know about the cruises. Monsters of Rock cruise. I don't know about I don't know about Monsters of Rock. Maybe because they really weren't like they weren't hair glam. They were they're eighties. Yeah, they're eighties, but they're kind of different. I, I don't even know. Maybe seven. Maybe as a special guest to like seven thousand tons of metal or something. Oh, the, something the like heavier that. builds. Yeah, maybe something like that as a like a special guest thing. Megadeth cruise that just happened. Something like that. Yeah, or if they were doing. Um, uh, if if motorboating was still going, yeah, something like that, yeah, they'd fit on that. Mm. Yeah, of course. You go on the Facebook page, and when they announce the shows, yeah, and it's like no fucking U.S. states, Atlanta, and they start naming Pittsburgh and New York <laughs> and fucking anywhere in the U.S. And yeah. then people are laughing, saying it's a world tour, and you're only playing like Europe and um, Canada. Nothing. Uh, I didn't look that far, but there's definitely no. U.S. states huh. when we're talking now. Because I'm surprised even like a, like a, you got to throw like a Montreal date in there. They, they'd sell something in Montreal. Maybe. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a metal stronghold. If so is New you York. Know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they're not playing fucking New York. I know. What's the point of playing Montreal? Maybe, they got to join the dots. It could be though that New York might be, the venue might be a little bit too expensive for their budget. Could be. You know, Montreal probably fits in. I don't, and maybe New York doesn't. But yeah, why not like Pittsburgh or something like that? Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I just found it interesting yeah. that uh, once again, well, as we're talking, there's um, there's no U.S. Yeah. shows, and they're calling it a world tour. It's funny you bring it up. Like I said, I, I like I saw the I saw the metalinsider.net tweet come up, and I saw it, and I was like, I could retweet it, but. I just feel like they're taking the piss. <laughs> so I was like, eh. it's like it's interesting, but yeah, I like yeah, yeah. Let, it, let it hang. Yeah. So the other thing I want to talk about is, uh, you know, you went to the slaughter gig. I did, and you got back to me, uh-huh. and this is the first time I'm speaking to you since you went. Yeah, I know. This has been a couple right. weeks. You you now, immediately wanted to yeah. talk about this. So I interviewed Mark yep. a couple of days before that mm-hmm. show. And I knew that Will Hunt was playing drums. Yeah. And it wasn't Blas. Yeah. He uh, came out with a Carlino guitar shirt, by the way. Okay. 
And because I was like, when when I and I heard it in the interview, I'm like, I bet he went and stopped by Eddie. And uh, sure enough, he goes up on stage. And when he took his sweatshirt off, yeah, Carlino guitars. I'm like, yeah, he stopped mm. by Eddie's. Well, did Dana and Jeff Blando play? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And you said they played a lot of covers. They did a lot of covers and medleys, and um, it was it was interesting um, because they there were other things that they probably could have played um, rather than cover choices, and it was again. Knowing that you know he told you, yeah, we don't practice. So I'm I'm watching. And, I was and, shocked. When and you initially, said that. I was I like, was shocked. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I thought that we were loose when we used to play. Like, they're really loose about this. And then it was like, oh wait a minute, that's right, they don't rehearse. So they were, they were just kind of got up there, just having fun and and playing music. But um, I think people really expected to have more of that in their mind back in the day tight slaughter show that they would have seen when they were opening up for other bands and stuff and it wasn't that hmm. it got, it, I was thinking about it after you, you said about the covers and what Mark said and you're a musician right so yeah. and they don't rehearse so how much of that the set choice goes into a drummer coming in that's probably never played with them before. It's mm. probably turning up on the day and sitting behind the stool and playing. And do you know a whole lot of love? Do you know Paranoid? Yeah, right. We'll do those. We're not, you know, that's, you probably mightn't be familiar with the Slaughter Catalog. I mean, you, you could have some of that. Um, I didn't think about it that way. And probably because I kind of have a, a, a bias of... Um, it's it's guitar snobbery, and it's like it's the freaking drummer. All he's going to do is keep a beat. Like you could put a set of headphones on and be like, okay, that's the thing um, that, that that they got to play. And that's not really true. That's like I said. I mean, that's guitar snobbery to say that. Um, where you know, if I don't know the chords, you're going to know I don't know it. Uh, but there is there is a feel and there is a groove. It has to happen there. But I think drummers you know that for for like the the main slaughter songs that you know he could sit down and listen to all that and work it out really quick um i mean who was the drummer you talked to recently that was talking about having to fill in for was it brian Brian journey right yeah yeah so you'll hear about that later um so i won't steal much about it but he talked about you know trying to get that together right Mm -hmm. um by coincidence uh, so I, you know, I, I don't know if, if it's that, but I honestly, I didn't think about it that way. I just thought about it as you, you have some other songs. Cause, cause even Nick was like, they didn't play this. So they didn't play that. Or like, why didn't they do this? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Um, and I didn't, but that might be part of it is like, okay, well we don't have blast. Let's, let's do these other things and make it work. So maybe, yeah. Mm. The other thing I noticed about slaughter, um, you got to look and see where Vince Neil is playing before you go see him. Because if Vince is playing, it could be just Mark. Because I think Mark a while ago, they, they got Blas in. Yeah. And it was just Mark and Blas. Uh-huh. And Dana and Jeff were off playing with Vince Neil the same night. Yeah. It's gotten to the stage now with a lot of these bands that they're playing with other bands. Uh-huh. And, you know, they're double booked or something. And uh-huh. you need to weigh who's playing with who. The, the other example I'll give you is Lynch Mob. Right, Lynch Mob will, will announce a show. Do you know he just Where's announced a project playing? with somebody? Hmm? Do you know that Joy just announced a project with somebody? Yeah, Another some. One? I, I was like, are you kidding me? Some <laughs> other guy from TSO or something. Yeah, it was like, uh, what the hell? Yeah, and that I think that's coming out in January, but or February or whatever. Yeah, and then End Machine, and then another Lynch. One. But anyway, um, so. Where's is Robert Mason singing? And then you go on Warren's page. <laughs> no, he's playing here that night. And yeah. then it's um, oh Andrew Freeman singing. And it's like oh hold on, I have to look at the Last in Line webpage. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not Andrew. Yeah. So with George, it's you've no idea who's singing with him. Right. Um, it could be there's Nathan. I think it's U T U-T-Z, Z. He's supposed to be really good, but he's the relatively unknown guy uh-huh. that sings with him. Then Robert, and yeah. then. Or some people still think Oni is singing with him. And then you have Andrew Freeman. And then he had Keith St. John sing with him recently. 
And that's another thing I want to bring up. Um, we talked about this before on the show about promoters. Yeah. That promoters will advertise a band and put the picture of the band yeah, on. the Queensryche show. Like Queensryche. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll explain the Queensryche one again real quick. Queensryche were advertised on Ticketmaster playing Hampton Beach near us. Yeah. And which version was it? It was Tate. Yeah. It was, it was Tate on the picture. Tate yeah. on the picture, yeah. and it was it was Todd Latore. Yep. So that's Ticketmaster who's selling the tickets, right? Yeah. Now, one of the things I, I you see a lot as well when you're on social media is um, they'll put a picture of the band on, the promoter will. Yeah. And he'll have 50%, he'll have the, the classic lineup, and at least 50% of that lineup is not playing with him anymore, maybe more. Yeah. Right? I can understand that to a point. Uh huh. Right. The promoter needs to sell the tickets. The one thing that pisses me off big time is when the fucking social media for the actual band shares it. Yeah. Right. Now, the band members, a lot of them don't run the social media. Yep. But that to me is false advertising. That's just my opinion. Uh huh. Right. So the promoter will put up a lineup, the yeah. band will put it out on shared on social media with the date saying we're playing here. Yeah. Knowing damn well that a lot of the guys in the picture aren't even in the band anymore. I'm just generally I'm not a fan of that. Sure. Um but you see it more and more and more. They're just trying to get you to buy tickets and get you in there. It listen, it's a business. I get it. Yeah. But um when it gets to the stage now where you people asking who's singing, who's who's playing bass, uh and then you or you go there expecting someone to be there and it's like who the fuck are these guys? Yeah, I think I, I agree with everything you just said. I just think a lot of times, like when we went and saw Foreigner, right? When Jeff had us up to to, to see Foreigner, people around us they didn't even freaking know it no. wasn't like the original band up there, right? I, I, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I interviewed Jeff Pilson. Uh-huh. Backstage at Foreigner early this year, yeah. when we talked about um, race, was it a racist slate or no? Yeah, racist slate. No, no, it was the interview I did before that. We talked about Robin McCauley, the project, and Red Beach, and all That's that. That's true. Yeah, so we I had about, had about fifteen minutes yeah. with him. Yeah. So I'm standing outside, and there's a load of people right, waiting for the meet and greet. Yeah. And there was a couple of people walking by, and I remember one of them turned around, turned to his friend or whatever, and said. These people are paying for a meet and greet. There's none of the guys in the band are original members. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> right. A lot of people either they don't know or they don't care. They don't know. Or they don't care. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, someone like Kelly's gone out and done a phenomenal job. I give him all the props. Oh, He's brilliant. really He's done, fantastic. right? Puts a great show on every night. Um, really carrying the spirit of Lou Graham on. And he does great. And, and Jeff's done great as an MD on the band as well and stuff. And, and I'm sure that there's there's a there's a bunch of people that probably go to see Kelly, right? But equally, I still agree that there's a shitload of people in that audience that have no idea. Especially if they see you know Mick up there, they think, oh, all well, the rest of the band's the original band. No, like, there, fuck there, no. There's another example you brought up, Mick Jones. Uh huh. He's in all the posters. Uh-huh. He doesn't do a lot of the shows. No, he doesn't. And he he's up there to maybe validate it saying oh there's Mick Jones he's the guitar player in Farner and then you turn up at some club and he's not even on the road I'd be happy because they won't play Star Rider that'd be so good <laughs> <laughs> now Farner are, are doing a, a, a tour in in, um, in the UK next year with Whitesnake uh-huh. and Europe are the special guests huh. and I'm sure when it comes to playing arenas Mick will turn up for those Yeah, but he, he doesn't do the, the club shows yeah. And oh. here they are, poster, foreigner, Mick Jones in the yeah. poster. And I'm like, that's not, yeah. I don't, I'm not a fan of that. Right. You know, I just don't agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I yeah, I'm with you on that. It's, it, it sucks. But, uh, but it, yeah, back to the slaughter gig is, wow. It's like old school me- focus on metal. We're like, <laughs> go down a path and we got to go, we got to pull back. Um, yeah, it was, like I said, it was, I mean, you know that room, right? The soundboard's off to the side. It's not in the front, so the sound gets friggin' dicey, it's a too. Shit hole. It, it is. It is. Um, you well, know, hold on. What time crowd. did they come on stage? The usual Club 360. Like After 11. 11. Like a night. Fuck's sake. That's why I didn't go. I mean, even the opening band was didn't go on until, I want to say, like, nine or whatever. How many opening bands were there? Just the one, and it wasn't mass. Thank God. 
Um, <laughs> it was it was an it was a '80s cover band thing. They're like Taste of the '80s or something. I'm sorry, guys. I can't remember the freaking name of your band. Um, the fucking opening band is coming on after nine. Yeah, uh, here and uh, and it was it was uh, it was yeah. Everything else about it was classic Club 360, right? That um, they cranked the AC right before the opening band came on. So it's like now you're freezing. So now you're like you're buying alcohol to stay warm, and uh, yeah, they they had a they were they were had a very varied set of of stuff that they were doing. Some of it was okay. Some of it was uh, and some of it was like Nick was like, I can't believe they just did what they did to that song. Um, <laughs> but but it was true to form. Like you could have predicted it. Yeah, they came on at like around eleven, and uh, you know, a lot of energy to the set and stuff, but. Um, How long did they play for? An hour? Say, I don't want to say like an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, and it was very loose, very, very jammy, you know. Um, obviously, you know, they're on that small, tiny stage, too. So it's, it's uh, but I, I will say that, you know, Len Striper, they, they worked the stage pretty well when they did it. Yeah, and they came on at fucking 1130. Yeah, and the sound, and their sound actually ended up being better, but. Um, yeah, that soundboard to the side really fucks you up with with doing sound. Do you think with Slaughter because they don't rehearse? I think Mark said it in the interview that I did with him that uh, they not only play casinos and they only have like an hour or seventy. Yeah, minutes. he was. That, that, they, they can't I play never, for an hour and a half. They I don't never have enough about that whole They don't have. They, they, they right. haven't rehearsed enough to play an extended I was, set. I was. I was. That was like kind of a wow that's as simple as duh thing and i never thought about it which is the whole idea that he talked to you about with when they play casinos they want them they just want the name out there it was like yeah get on and get the fuck off mm-hmm. so everyone can get back to the tables and i i like honestly i never thought about it that way but for them that has i'm sure the payday is good but as far as if you want to go out and perform it's got to be really demoralizing mm. was you there know? a decent turnout yeah, yeah, they it was Not it bad. was uh it was it was pretty well packed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they had there were a lot of people there. Um that was yeah, we, we did a lot of people watching. What's I'll his tell vo- you that. What's his voice like? For a lot of it, it was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Guitar playing he did really well. He's 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 an excellent guitar player. He that's really what, is. That's why I asked him cuz yeah. not a lot of people ask him about his yeah. guitar playing. He's 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 a really good guitar player. The and um it, you know, like I said, the sounds kind of dicey, so it's kind of hard to judge some of it. Um, and there were some things where it was like, eh, yeah, he could have maybe hit that a little bit better. But he, when he was even talking to you, he's like, yeah, my voice has changed. It's not really what it is anymore. And it's kind of, it's a more gritty thing. And so... Um, Any solos, drum solo or any that shit? No, no, uh, no real, like, drum solo type. Of, it was, whatever they did was more, you know, it was more jammy where... You know, Mark might have come out and played a little bit and sang a little bit just by himself, and and Blando did a little bit of stuff just by himself, but mm-hmm. nothing, no, uh, you know, no Emerson Lake and Palmer extended, you know, fifteen <laughs> minute solo type of things. Okay. They didn't really have the set list time for it either. Okay, okay, yeah, right. Um, want to talk about a book I bought recently? Um, Greg Prado's got a book called Dark Black and Blue: uh-huh. The Soundgarden Story. Yeah, he um, does. I got to tell you, he does a ton of stuff. Um, he must get about, so I still, the the one printed mag I still get is uh, Vintage Guitar. And he does at least two to three pieces in that every month. Interviews? Yeah. Interviews? Yeah. yeah. Um, I had him on for the uh, King's X book. Fantastic yeah. book. Yeah. I don't know what he, you, you, you read it? I haven't read it. It is fantastic, right? One of the, one of the best books you'll read on a band uh-huh. with the band's input out there. Because I almost was, feel like we got spoiled by having, uh, by having Ty on yeah, and was, literally take us through every album. So I'm kind of like, all right, it, I kind of heard it from the done, man himself. It was done the right way. Yeah. It had all these different guests on it, musicians. Uh, the only name he couldn't get was Sam Taylor, but mm. I interviewed Greg about it. And then this came up. And I said, right, I'm going to get this and I'm going to read it. Um, I've read some of his other books. I really enjoyed his Eric Carr book. Yeah. Um, but this book here, he's a fan. Big time. Oh, Big really? time fan, right? Huh. I'm very wary of fanboy books. Yeah. And this one is over the fucking top. Really. It's good. Over the top as a fanboy perspective? Oh, yeah. Or, oh, oh. yeah. 
So he's really gushing in the oh, book. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, it, in the first few pages of the book, he has a picture of himself separately with the four band members. Right, goes on to say how big an impact the band ha- has had on his life. Um, it's it's a lot of it is similar to the King's X one, where it, it's chronological. Um, it goes through all of the albums. When the band talk about the songs and the making of the records, it's really good. Um, but at times you feel that. He, he, it's Greg's story as well, uh-huh. and he bring he puts oh, himself into it kinda, way too much. And that's kind of putting it's, him in the narrative. It, yeah, yeah. Did it's you so, talk about the early albums and the guys that were like. Oh, he starts from the very beginning. So, so some that's of the, all well done. Some of the players that kind of got forgotten about. Yes, oh, it starts good. at the very beginning. Yeah. That goes through all of it. Um, he, he there's too much of him in it. The author. Yeah, and after a while, it's like oh, really, <laughs> you know. He goes on about he ha- he hates a lot of the late eighties metal, uh-huh. right? Calls it feces, yeah. right? Uh, okay, I get it, right? You don't like that stuff, right? Yeah. But he keeps fucking going on about it in different parts of the book. Huh. He there's a part in it where he talks about grunge, saying that he talks about the the Washington State area uh, having some of the best fo- hard rock vocalists of all time, and he says there's Chris Cornell, Mark Lanigan, Lane Staley. Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder, uh-huh. right? And and then he said they all had soul. And then no Andrew Wood. Well, he talks about Mother Love Bone. Yeah. Um But he he says that all those vocalists had soul. And then he says that's not a thing he could level at Brett Michaels, Vince Neil, and Stephen Piercy. And I'm like, whoever fucking asked that question in the first place? Like I don't think Stephen Pearce or Vince Neil or Brett Michaels will ever say they were a soul, no. a soulful vocalist. No, and I'm like, why do you fucking keep harping on about this? Right. They're, I mean, uh, Stephen Pearce will tell you he's not singing from his heart. He's fing- singing from his dick. Yeah. Uh, and he's doing it on but purpose. But he keeps going on about this throughout <laughs> the whole book. Yeah. Like, this is the one thing that drives me mad about fucking these guys that are, love the grunge stuff, right? Uh-huh. They fucking... It, I, I love the 80s stuff. Yeah. I can love the grunge stuff too. Uh-huh. This is like the, I love Hagar. I uh-huh. love Rot. Yeah. According to this guy, you can't fucking love both. You have to hate Poison and no. Rat. And if you're a Soundgarden fan, and I, it doesn't have to work like that. I can still hate Poison, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you can have other stuff. I mean, I have like, I have a lot of respect for, especially some of the guitar stuff that, that happened with Soundgarden is you know, you listen to some of the st- the, the st- recordings and things with Rusty Chain, and it's like, holy crap! I played Bad Motor Finger over it's a great and over and over again. Um, but it doesn't mean I'm going to disavow the fact that uh, you know everything that George Lynch did with Lynch Mob. It's like, no, it's I smoke this. <laughs> <laughs> there are actually some good things on that album. No, Not no, all of it. You entirely. can fucking listen to it. I'm never putting it on again. But. Um, it's one of those things where initially I'm like, what the fuck? But then you revisit it and go, all right, I can see a little bit of this. Um, but but I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't just be like, oh, I can't have one and not the other. Mm. The I book mean, the book is 400 pages. Yeah, it's not a right? big book. There's way too much of the author in it. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing he brings up in, in the very end of the book, and I think this is something I think you will... Uh, you will ing- you will get something out of right. Uh-huh. This will tell you how big a fanboy this guy is, right? So he's talking about Chris Cornell, right? Uh-huh. Without question, Chris will go down as one of the all-time great vocalist songwriters and lyricists, right? He, sure, right? Yeah. As I wholeheartedly believe that his work is comparable to John Lennon, Jimi Hendrix, and Freddie Mercury. Now, how big of a fucking fanboy is this? <laughs> like, yeah. Chris Cornell is a great singer, great songwriter. Sure, right? Yeah. Like he's Freddie Mercury and fucking Jimi Hendrix and all these guys—they're fucking way bigger than <laughs> than he is. Well, they're also they're also iconics. Well, they are, and I mean he'll 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 be iconic as well. I mean, he, for a lot of people, he is iconic. But yeah, I mean it's it's different. Um, you know, when you have somebody like Clapton and Page and and Townsend sitting in a theater. 
the first time Hendrix plays in London, and they're all like, we're fucked. Um, that's a different level. Yeah, but they, that's did, a whole they other did level. something new. I don't think you can say that Chris Cornell did anything new. No. Like, but the Hendrix revolutionized guitar playing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like Eddie Van Halen revolutionized guitar uh-huh. playing. Freddie Mercury was probably one of the best frontmen of all time. Singers, he had the flamboyance, he had everything. Yeah, he brought this whole he level transcended of music. Yeah. I don't think you can say the same thing about Chris Cornell. Well, I guess the interesting thing is, is that there is at least some comparison with Freddie and Chris in that you needed to really have, my opinion, Chris did things by himself that were nowhere near the impact that Soundgarden was. It was all of them together. Yeah, he right? says that actually it's in the all same of paragraph. It. So the same thing with Freddie, right? Freddie needed to have John Deacon, and he needed to have Roger, and he needed to have Brian. It was all four of those guys together. All right, then what about John Lennon? You know? You can't compare Cornell to no. John Lennon. No, I mean, John... John Obviously, the, he had probably did his greatest body of work with the Beatles, but when he came out of some of the crazy-ass Yoko Ono New York shit and he got back to things just before he was shot, it was not really my total cup of tea, but it was like, wow, he can still do it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he's, that's, a whole other, that's a whole other level like, there. I don't even think Soundgarden are the biggest band of the grunge era. I think if you were to ask people... Name the what singers would you name? They probably, they'd probably Kurt Cobain with, and Eddie Vedder. And Eddie Vedder, yes. They wouldn't even name Cornell and as, as there, there, they were might. Of, there were there they were might. a lot of people that would, but but I think that that the initial thing would be is they would name ten. They wouldn't name Bad Motorfinger. You know what I mean? It's it's that kind of a thing. Or they'd name Jeremy. They wouldn't name Black Hole Sun. Hmm. It's 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 that. I mean, you look at um, the devotion of of the um, and the growth. Uh, that that Pearl Jam did, and I think that had a lot more bigger and lasting impact. Mm. It the book's okay, way too much fanboy stuff in it. Yeah, from my from my take, like yep. way over the top. Yeah, um, the stuff on the albums and all that very well done, very yeah. well in depth. When the musicians talk, it's great. Cool, um, but you know, yeah, it's okay. You know, <laughs> you're a fan. I get it. <laughs> uh, all right, so there's a there's a pretty good commentary of that one anyways oh yeah this is old school focus all right what do you say we um we do what we started to do at the beginning of the show and uh run a great talk you did with uh with brian tishy about everything he's up to today mm-hmm. all right hi is this richie yeah what's up brian hey how you doing how you doing man i'm all right we're you're on the west coast yeah you you at boston yeah i'm in uh, sudbury mass what is it Sudbury. It's about 13 miles outside of Boston. Uh, okay, yeah. I, I went to college in Boston and all that. I've spent a lot of time out, up there. Yeah, you were in Berkeley, weren't you? Yes. Um, were you there at the same time as the Dream Theater guys? Uh, they were the year before. Okay. Yeah, they left. Uh, they, they were gone when I got there. Okay, okay. So, so you probably tell I'm from Ireland. Uh, have you ever played there? Yeah, yeah, Dublin, Belfast, man, it did Ireland's great, man. I remember the first time flying there, flying over it, looking at that down. What a beautiful country! Yeah, what what bands did you play with in Ireland? Can you remember? Oh uh, yeah, I think it was. Uh, oh geez, well, a cover a cover band, uh, myself and Doug Aldrich and Michael Devon. We were all in White Snake at the time, and we did a, a cover thing called Steamroller. We we went there. Okay. And uh, White Snake. And, uh, geez, I think, uh, I think Dead Daisies. Yeah, yeah, there's been, been many bands over many years. I can't remember every single one. Yeah, <laughs> great. Do you have any countries? Great time there. Yeah. Do you have any countries you've always wanted to to visit, uh, either with bands or just out by yourself and you've never gotten there yet? Oh, countries I haven't been to yet? Yeah. Cause I'm sure with bands you've played everywhere. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've, been to quite a few countries. Uh, I haven't been to, let's say, like Iceland. I haven't been there. Oh, I have. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that would be that'd be a real interesting place to go to. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, definitely some some Asian countries that I haven't been to. But uh, yeah, pretty much 
hit, uh, you know, all of North America, South America, you know, Europe, Australia, Japan, Hong Kong. Yeah, you know, been uh, into quite a few. Yeah. I, I always ask the guitarist about collecting guitars, but do drummers collect drums? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I have too many drums, and, uh, <laughs> I, and I probably have too, too many guitars as well, yeah. You have a lot of guitars, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've played guitar since, uh, you know, since I was, I don't know, 12 or something. So, yeah, you know, over the years, man, you, you get into it and you start, you know, start picking stuff up. Yeah, you need to get a bigger house. Yeah, or you know, or you can learn how to consolidate better or something. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's talk. Let's spend a few minutes talking about Silvertorn. Um, were you looking for a new project? Yeah, uh, wow. I want to say I'm always looking for a new projects, but that's not exactly the case. This uh, this Silverthorn. It's an interesting question because it wasn't intended on becoming Silverthorn, but we made, uh, what you say, uh, we made lemonade out of lemons, so to speak. It, we were involved in another project. It was uh, with um, the DeLeo brothers from Disposable Pilots. I, I had, uh, we had recorded some songs together and uh, as a completely separate thing with no singer and in hopes of someday finding the right guy for this, this project. And uh, SDP didn't have a a singer at that that time either and they were still you know obviously somewhere down the road they'd hope they find the right guy to fill those big shoes and and we came across pete shoulder the Silverthorn singer guitar player we were blown away by him and uh you know the guy sent me a, a, a recording of him playing you know singing and playing acoustic guitar and and it was amazing and we all got together yeah, finished up the music, wrote a bunch more, recorded it, and, and had it sitting there, you know, with, uh, you know, of course, High Hopes. And then uh, the, the STP found that yeah, a singer came into their world. That was the right fit. And they, they had to make a choice. And, and as huge STP fans, and totally understanding their position, uh, you know, having their, their, their life's work and their, their band, you know, have that opportunity to continue uh, where sometimes that doesn't happen. We understood their choice, which was to move forward with SDP. So they did that. That was a couple of years ago. So they've been out doing their thing. And soon after that, I talked to Pete because we got to know each other well and realized we were cut from the same cloth, liked a lot of the same stuff. I realized that he's a great guy, great musician, you know, great writer. And, and uh, I just said, what if we get together and try to write some of our own stuff? And, and, and really, that's, that's where it stemmed from. So it wasn't like I sought him out or he contacted me and we came together through something else and, and it ended up becoming this, which I'm, I'm real happy about because uh, we wrote together and we're, we, we, you know, wrote a lot of stuff together last year. And this year we uh, got the deal with Golden Robot Records and put it all together in the spring. You know, the videos, photos and uh, EP artwork and, you know, all that stuff and, and uh, mix and master, get everything ready. And I was gone for the summer, and and, and uh, there you go, man. First single came out in the middle of August, and and we're we're a, a new baby band, uh, just looking to uh, prove ourselves and get those opportunities and and create a a full time gig out of this, man. I'd I'd love to see this become the one thing I'm doing, and and that's that, you know. Mm. So does Pete live in the U.S.? Pete's in the U.K. He's like uh, basically Newcastle. Okay, so. Did he write with you? I'm, did, I'm, did, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want. I, I tell you the story at the beginnings, but I cannot leave out our bass player Daniel Spree because he did come. A great guy and a great player, and we had we've known each other for a while. We jammed together, recorded a little bit, and then uh, when we needed somebody, I, I sent sent him some stuff. Said, "Don't know what you're doing. We're not going to be super busy right now at all. It's a brand new thing, but you know, if you, if you like what you hear, you know, what are your thoughts? You know, do you have time?" And, and he was like, "No, this stuff's great. Let's do it." And, and which is, uh, you know, another uh, another blessing because you know sometimes those things don't always fall into place, or or somebody somebody comes into the picture that, you know, may not be exactly the right fit or uh, has that or, or is ready to commit on any kind of level that'll go to the next level, you know? So he's, he's re ready to go and I'm psyched because uh, we, we did a little playing together and it sounds amazing. Mm. So what are we looking at in the future? Are we looking at an EP or a full-length album? Yeah, we're going to... We, we, well, while considering what we... How much time we had before I was gone... Uh, to get everything together, we chose to go with an EP. Even though we all love LPs and and uh, and the, the the scene has changed quite a bit, 
and so much is single driven and so much social media involved. It's a different, it's, you know, sales, you know, people aren't buying records like they used to. And, it, you know, that's, that's, that's how I listen to music. If I like a band, you know, I hear a song, I, I want to get the record and hear the whole big picture, but uh, it's kind of a different thing nowadays. So, so we're like, okay, let's, let's just get the best of what we have together for an EP and can take it from there. You know, and it's really, you know, it's a, a different, different world than it was uh, back, you know, years ago. Yeah. So Brian, how did you end up on Golden Robot Records? We, it was also another kind of interesting story that uh, the, the president, the founder of Golden Robot, Mark Alexander Erber, he, he, he had contacted me through a mutual friend about something else, completely different. And what he wrote to me included his background and what he's doing. And I wrote back, said, hey, man, you know, nice to meet you or whatever. And, uh, hey, those bands you're on your label, I'm friends with a lot of those guys. That's cool, man. I have a new thing, new band. And he goes, great, send it over. Let me, let me hear what you have. And he heard it, and, it, and he was like, I, you know, I love it, man. Let's do it. Hmm. So are Pete, yeah. and, are Pete and Daniel, um, are they full-time in the music business as well? Because I know you do a, a ton of work for other projects and yeah. bands. Are, are, yeah. they, are, are they full-time in the music business too when they're not doing Silvertorn? Yeah, yeah. Um, Pete, Pete's had a couple couple bands. Mainly, it's based in the in the UK. But years ago, he had a band called Winterville, and and uh, they put a record or two out and did some touring. And and then he went to a new project with uh, I think it's the the guitar player from the band Thunder. They started a new band called The Union. And I know they they put a couple records out. And the first time I had actually met Pete was because of they were touring opening up for Whitesnake in the UK I was in Whitesnake and I'd get to the gigs and they'd be opening up and I'd, I'd hear Pete singing I'd be backstage or something and I'd be like this guy sounds great I don't know who the singer is but he's killer you know and, with, with, and that was it you know we, we met you know we didn't keep in touch uh, but you know obviously we all met while touring together but we didn't really hang out much or you know, our, our schedules were totally different but I did make note of that. Completely un- not even thinking about, oh, a band with beat. You know, I'm in Whitesnake. He's in the union. There you go. Just he's a great singer. But it was it was really interesting how this business works. You know, years later, you end up in a project together. But, you know, not because the two of you sought each other out. You just ended up working together. And then that leads to, wow, man, we, we're musicians that kind of think alike. We have a, a similar similar uh, view on what we want to do in, in the world of music let's let's try and put that together you know so so yeah he's but that's what he does and uh uh that's what he has done right now it's you know it is full-time Silverthorne. i know he'll he'll go out and do occasional you know acoustic gigs or whatever just because he can because he's a he's a madman you badass and you know sitting around you know sitting there him and an acoustic guitar is uh is is a thing unto itself and uh yeah and, and uh daniel daniel's in la and i know daniel through our 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 buddy uh, Phil X, Phil X plays guitar in Bon Jovi now, and he's had his own band for a long time called The Drills. And Daniel has always, uh, whenever Phil's available and does The Drills, Daniel's been his bass player. So that's that's how I've, I've recorded with The Drills. We've all jammed at a club in LA or whatever. So we've been friends for years. And he was, uh, when, when I knew we needed to put this together and wanted to keep it a, a, a trio, I reached out, you know, to Daniel. Just, you know, and then there he goes. Yeah. So he's, a, he's always busy. He's always, he's got, you know, many different gigs he does in, in LA and stuff. Hmm. Now, now, the single you've released, Tear the Sky Wide Open, which is excellent, by the way. Any particular reason, any particular reason, Brian, why that was the first song you released? Was that the first song you wrote? It wasn't, it wasn't the first song. But it was definitely in the first batch. It was could have been, you know, the third song. It was definitely one of the first ones. And the more we wrote, that always stood out as it sounded like a good lead-off track for a record. It sounded like a good, you know, open a concert track. You know, it, it just had these good, a lot of good qualities about it that represented in one song what a lot of what we're about, which is, you know, a big guitar riff. Some good melody, you know, some catchy, catchy this or that, you know, a good groove, you know, and some power, you know, and and that was that was really it. It just always, you know, throughout all the songs written after that, it always kind of yeah, stayed at the top of the list as the song that represents. Uh, it would be a really good representation of of what we're about if you're only going to hear one song.
So how many songs do you think are going to make it on the EP? There's, there's five. Okay. There's five. It's, it's a, yeah, the EP, it's done. It's ready. We're doing it. You know, the artwork, it's all, it's all, it's all there ready to go. So there's no more like, oh, maybe we can add this. Maybe we can change this. Now we're, we're, it's done. We committed to that back in the spring. So the next, uh, the next step is, uh, is a second single in, in I think about a month and we're editing the video for it now. And I, I can't wait for people to hear it because, you know, the more press you do and the more people re- react to one song. Okay. That's, that's, that's all they get. They get four minutes, four minutes of a new band. And okay, we're going to give you another four or five minutes and it's not going to be the same ride at all. You're going to hear the same, yeah, it's the same guys doing the same thing, but it's a completely different song. And I'm, I'm, it, which I'm already just beyond excited to, to see the reaction or see and hear the reaction to the second single. So that, that'll be next month. And then, then we're, uh, trying to figure out the best date for the EP because as you get closer to the end of the year, you're competing with the, the holiday season. Everybody kind of, that's closing up shop and you know is that the best time for us to put out the full EP or maybe we just you know let the holidays get by and then uh, you know put it out soon after hmm. have you three guys played a show yet or played in the same room together yeah yeah we, we played together uh, when we were getting everything together with the videos and photos and artwork and all that stuff uh, and and I I already I knew how it was going to sound I, I I just knew, and it, you know, so that 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 solidified it right there. But it's, as far as gigs, that's that's what we are. That's where we're at now. That's the, the, that's what we're doing. Okay, I'm here in L.A. It's probably a good good thing to get our feet wet, and you know, maybe hit you know hit a Vegas show, LA LA show, et cetera. And then and then uh, we're also talking about you know we've had really nice reactions over in the U.K. to the, to the song, so it, it makes sense for us to be, with Pete being there try and get a little run going there so that that's what we're working on now mm-hmm. so brian have you ever done a gig in the past um with any band and you never rehearsed with them beforehand uh yeah uh it was one of the craziest experiences i've ever had behind a kid of drums and it involves a band called journey and it involves an audience of seventeen thousand. and it involves <laughs> Yeah, and it involves literally about an hour and a half notice, maybe less. Uh, this is this is back in 1999. I was a foreigner, and Foreigner and Journey were doing a U.S. tour all summer. And we had already, uh, we probably did a month of dates already, and uh, I think we just played L.A. So we get up to Reno, Nevada, the next day, and I had already been joking. You know, I think we all stayed up late, and it was like just one of those one of those nights. And, and I'm just goofing around with the guys going, oh, I don't know if I could do this tonight, man. I don't know if I could, like, seriously saying, I'm burnt, man. I don't know if I have what it takes to cut the gig tonight. Just joking around, you know? And uh, a few minutes later, and soon after, 10 minutes later, we're, we're supposed to go on it, whatever, 7 p.m. on the dot. We, we hit the stage exactly on time every night. It's like 10 after. I'm like, what's going on? And it ends up, there's there's complications in the journey camp. Drummer, my good buddy, killer drummer Dean Castronovo, he hurt himself, and you know, I think it was his wrist or something. He's not going to be able to play the show. Like he's not there, and they're tripping out. Like this just happened. You know what are we going to do? So they come to me and they go, Brian, can you can you fill in for Journey tonight? Like, we're <laughs> we're about to, you know what I mean? So I'm on like two hours of sleep. You know, we're about to hit the stage. I go, I'm thinking, okay, I've been hearing like half of their set you know, the, the, on tour, but we always leave before the, the, their show's completely done. Maybe we've stayed there a couple times, but yeah, I've, I've heard them play and I've watched them, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, I know this song, I know that song, I, you know, blah, 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 and I'm going through in my head, I go, yeah, why not, man, just fuck it. And I go, yeah, I'll do it. And I go, okay, whose drums do you want to use? I go, well, I want to use mine, but I don't want the Foreigner logo on the, on the, on the journey stage and everybody's just 17,000 people going, what the hell's going on with the drum set? What's the, you know, it's taking, that's going to detract from the big picture of a journey show. So I go, I'll use Dean's kit. I'd never played his kit. We had completely different kits. You know, I'm a single <laughs> bass drum. Yeah. So, so it ends up for We jump on stage. We hit our show. I run on, I'm walking down the steps and their manager's like, get in here, get in here, get in the dressing room. And the guys are in there and they're talking through the set list. And I grab a piece of paper and a Sharpie and I'm trying to write notes. Like, they're like, okay, we're going to cut this song out, but we'll do this. We'll do this. Okay. We're, you know, we're, we'll open it with separate ways. We'll go into, you know, any way you want it. Then we got this. And I, 
and then they go, you know this song? I don't, nah, I don't know the hits, the intro to this song. Ah, and I'm trying to write it. They're like, it's like this. And I'm like, ah. and then they go, forget it. Drop the song. On to the next song. The manager's like, guys, we got to go. Because if you run into overtime, uh, curfew time, uh, at a show like that, there's just insane charges. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so much money per minute. Mm-hmm. Okay? Everybody overtime that's working. It's a whole thing. It's like a lot of money. So they're like, let's go, let's go. And uh, <laughs> so we go down the set list. I'm like, forget the notes. I have no time for notes. And then at the end, you know, the set closer, don't stop believing. Neil Sean goes, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll just we'll drop, don't stop believing. I go, and I go, no, no, no. Keep that one in, man. I, I learned the whole drum beat from Steve Smith, you know, the drum instructional video. Like, keep that one, man. <laughs> you know. So I go up there and I get on Dean's drums and they go, yeah, you play to a click track and you'll hear Jonathan Cain's pre-recorded voice saying the song name and then counting you in. You count the band in. Uh, all right, let's go, let's go. I get on Dean's drums, whole different kit. We go in a separate ways. And uh, yeah, man, it, ultimately... It was just a, 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 the trippiest experience ever. I, at least I had it out. My out for all my fuck-ups were, hey, man, I had no time to prepare, right? If I knew that morning, <laughs> I would have prepared so much better. But there were some train wrecks. Like, there was just some stuff that was going to happen, like, in a, in a, you know, however long a journey show, an hour and a half, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was, and, you know, yeah, but there was some stuff that was okay. The guys were great. They were totally cool. And, uh... That was it, man. You know, there was, yeah, there was one train wreck in particular that was hilarious because it involved the, the strobe lights underneath the drum riser turning on in perfect time, you know, at the exact moment when there's a big double bass run around the drum, drums type of fill. You know, and the strobe lights go on. <laughs> I didn't play then because there was a break before that. I didn't know how long the break was. And, and Ross Valerie, the bass player, is looking at me like, okay, here we go. We're going to stop. And then you're going to, you know, he's like trying to help me. And I stop, and then the strobe lights go, and there's no drum fill, and I come back into the chorus a beat late. Like there was some stuff like that, but there was some stuff that was cool. And and uh, man, it was uh, an experience. Yeah, there, there, I don't know if I have an experience like that. Yeah, pretty <laughs> heavy duty. Brian, what's what's the worst drum related injury you've ever had? Oh man, just uh, breaking my wrist. Yeah, you know, m- mountain biking. That that's that's that was the worst. It took me out of playing guitar. It took me out of playing drums. Yeah, I was literally, uh, it's a long time ago, but I was, I had my own band. I was playing guitar and singing in, in LA at the time. And I, w- I would just uh, get this vocal warm up tape and I, c- I couldn't play drums or guitar. So I just drive around because we, we were in this little, I don't know what it was, like a triplex townhouse kind of situation. I'm not going to be yelling in my, yelling and singing in my place, but uh, I drive around in my car with this vocal warm up tape and you have a broken wrist. And, uh, and, and, and I wasn't a foreigner at the time. And the great end of that story was, you get yourself in a cast that's six weeks and then another six weeks of therapy. You're talking, you know, three months of, of like, you know, getting back to a place where you can maybe play. That's a long, long time. And luckily the guys in foreigner, when I called them and said, all right, I, I, I busted my wrist. They say, you know, I already got a cast on and they recommended me to uh, uh, a chiropractor slash, you know, guru of of all kinds and I get he hooked me up to this machine seriously electric prints and a magic wand I'd be there an hour every day I don't know for like 11 days or something and it healed my bone twice as quick as the, the, the normal healing process and I and I got out of the the, the cast in you know in two weeks and I was playing a gig that weekend with Foreigner so I got out <laughs> playing the gig and I was hitting let's say the most the hardest thing to do would be hit the snare that was my left hand it was my left wrist so that's your two and four all night long. And, and, uh, I was, that was, that was the most pain, but I, I was 75, 80% there with, uh, you know, with full power. So, so I got it done, but man, that's, that's a, that's a real, that's, that's a sucky feeling. It's, I mean, it, it's health, you know, you, you, you don't have your health. You, you got, you got nothing, you know, you can sit there and have all these big old plans and everything's ready to go. But something happens to you, you know, your body or health wise and you're, you're screwed. You yeah, know, so. Brian, the weirdest answer I got to that question was actually from Dean Castronovo. And he told me that he was in the southern states where the air was dry and his hands all blistered up. And and uh, they had to tape the sticks to his hands because he couldn't hold them. They were so swollen. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've had blisters. I don't know. I, I've never had to tape my sticks to my hands, but I have had to after a, a stupid snowboarding accident 
jamming my thumb up really bad, just jammed it hard on a little spill. Uh, that was it. Two days later, a tour started, and I, I was putting paper towels, like, wrapped up, you know, in, like, a rectangular fashion, duct tape around that, a bunch of duct tape, and then a driver's glove. <laughs> that's how I was playing the show, you know, in pain. So, yeah, that stuff sucks. Yeah. Brian, did you ever sit down with the likes of Mick Jones and, and David Coverdale and talk to them about the, the craft of songwriting and how they wrote certain songs? Uh, no, and you know what? That's a, that's a, that's a great question because there's, there's, I'm sitting here going, why didn't I? Because it is intriguing and fascinating. How did you come up with this song? I've asked, I've heard, you know, Mick Jones and Coverdale you know, tell me lots of stories. And, and somewhere in there, I'm surprised I didn't say, all right, Mick, you know, the, the hot-blooded riff, Mick. Uh, I, know, I know a little bit, you know, there's, there's, you know, Mick told some stories about a couple songs here and there, you know, the, the genesis of, of it and, and all that. But yeah, uh, not, not enough where I'm happy with the fact that I was in a band for years and didn't ask those questions because uh, I, I would love to know, you know, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's amazing songs, you know, timeless songs by both those bands, both those, those artists and, you know, Nick Jones, just an amazing songwriter and, and Coverdale, just one of the, you know, the best voices in rock for sure, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's really cool, man. You know, there was a time there wasn't a white snake. There was a time where you were David Coverdale coming out of purple with some some, some song ideas. Okay, well, where where the how how did I, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, Loving no stranger come together. You know, where, where you know, it, yeah, that, I'd love to know that stuff. So if I ever if I'm ever around him again, I'm gonna make a point of of taking a little bit of time and uh, pestering him for some answers. Yeah, Brian, just a couple of questions before I leave you go. You you work with a lot of producers. Who do you think was the toughest on you? who really pushed you in the studio to get a performance? Good experiences, fortunately. I don't have much, much uh, where, where there was like studio frustration or performance frustration, luckily. Uh, there's definitely been situations in the studio where, you know, one something goes smoother than the other. Uh, but off the top of my head, um, uh, my buddy Stevie Salas, he's a killer guitar player and he's played with, uh, Rod Stewart, Terrence Fred Darby, and released his own solo records with great success in Japan and all this stuff. And he does a crazy style of music, meaning he'll blend everything from like hard, hard rock to funk to you know Beatlesy ballads to Cheap Trick and James Brown put together. It's like a a whole thing. So when he gets me in the studio, he's he's like, I know what you can do. So I'm going to hit you with everything. You know, give me a bar of a Keith Moon into a Buddy Carlos, then do a little Bonham into a you know. Into, into a, a Clyde Stubblefield, and then you hit me with a little Stuart Copeland, and it's like bam, 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 and and you, it's fun to go for. But you know, he's an intense guy, and he and he, he works at a at a, a highly intense level in the studio. It's out of excitement. It's you know, it's out of like catching the moment when you got to roll with it. But as far as producers, yeah, I, I'm I've got uh, you know all good experiences, man, with with uh, a lot of great different producers. You know, I. I, I it, but on the on the on the other side of that, I do remember doing a session with with uh, oh god, was it no? It was it, it was the same studio as the guy I was about to name? We had worked there. The, myself and producer Marty Fredrickson had worked together in the same studio. But there was this whole other group of people, and uh, they were. I was doing a drum pack, and there was some problem in the middle of the song. Every time I come out of a drum fill, I'd be off the cliff, and it, it, like. Just, 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 I'm going. Am I really not being, you know, technically able to play this fill in time? It's just going around the drums. I couldn't, and we just going over and over. And the guy, like, there was, there was already confusion in the session. Like the the the, the, the artist whose session it was, it was just like he was a little all over the map. You know, things were a little bit confusing, and there was misinformation, and you know, maybe this or maybe that's happening, and all that kind of stuff. But it ends up. Nobody told me that they decided to speed the click track up uh, <laughs> for that for that one bar. Like, and, and it was subtle. It was like you know, you talk like like a BPM or two, something very subtle. And I could not figure out why it just wasn't. And and they couldn't figure it out. And I started to feel like, man, I'm just wasting time now. These guys are looking at me like, well, what's going on? Finally, finally, they realized. Like, I don't know who figured it out, but it was it was a, a healthy chunk of time, you know, until they figured it out. 
And the attitude from the artist was just a little bit prima donna, a little bit know-it-all, a little bit like I've been there and done that and you're working for me, which is not a good vibe in the studio. So as I had to let them have it a bit when, when we found out, you know, this is not me at all. Now, they didn't change the click. They kept it. And with me knowing that, I just pushed my fill a little bit. Hmm. You know, I think I was, yeah, I was always behind. That's why I was always coming in behind the beat. So now I pushed it. And then, you know, next take, I got it. No problem. But, you know, that, that stuff happens. But, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. It's no big deal. Everybody's like kind of on the same level. But if, if there's one guy in the studio that's like got a little bit of that extra attitude that's unnecessary. Yeah, that, that, that causes like, you know, that causes me to go, okay, the quicker I can just get this shit done and pack up my drums and go, the better. You know what I mean? Yeah. So final question, Brian. Has there ever been any talk of uh, a reunion at a, doing Pride and Glory shows? It, it, there was a long time ago, but there hasn't been in a long time. Zach is, uh, for those of you who don't know, we're talking about Zach Wild, one of the world's most badass rock guitar players going. Uh, we had a band called Pride and Glory back in, you know, I think it was 1896 or something like that. <laughs> you know, but but uh, we had a great time. It was a great band, a lot of fun. It was a lot of great first experiences in that band for me. But um, yeah, we, we it was probably brought up over the years. But man, he's been, geez, it's, it's freaking 20 years of Black Label Society. And he is a workhorse. He doesn't stop. Like guys like him and Slash, they did just don't stop. And I have so much huge respect for for people like that that have, have put themselves in a position where their songwriting, their vision, the, their whole big picture, it's, that's what their world is. And that's what they it revolves around them. They create it all. You know, hey, of course, Zach can go back and play with Ozzy and all that stuff and do, I guess, uh, other tours that they, they uh, Generation X and the Hendrix tribute tour and you know all that uh, you know he's but he's he's uh, he's not stopped so to sit in you know yeah could he I guess he could it would really be up to him and it would just take like all of us saying okay we're gonna open up a bit of time but but I think it was man it was his first project outside of Ozzy you know and it was one record and I really honestly don't know why it ended after one record and tour other than I do know soon after. Maybe it maybe it ties into it, but I, I know he was getting calls from from Ozzy and and Axel at the at the same time. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on from them, like a lot of opportunities, and yeah. So um, I, I don't know, man. I think uh, maybe it was maybe you know like we do. You know, you get you look at the past and some stuff and go, yeah, that was really cool. But I just don't know if uh, that's such a big part of what I want to make a, a chunk of my life right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, so Brian, do you want to give out all the social media sites? Does the band have a Facebook page or a website yet? Nah, we don't have any of that. Nah, we're not really into social media. It's not that important. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're 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 doing the same thing everybody's doing. We got you know, just you just go to go to your social media and click in Silverthorn, whether it's Silverthorn HQ on uh, Twitter, Silverthorn band i think on instagram silverthorn band on uh facebook we got a website i think that's silverthorn band go to youtube type in silverthorn i think the first thing that pops up is tear the sky wide open and uh man uh you know yeah we're like i said we're you know we're we're brand new baby band fully aware of what it takes uh to, to 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 make a band happen we've all had enough experiences in this business but you know but there's 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 no uh there's no false expectations or, or seeming, you know, thinking we're going to have some easy ride at all, man. All we want is people to enjoy the music, dig what we're doing, and see it's going to be a, it's going to be a powerfully power, a powerfully powered power trio <laughs> in the stage and we in the stage live, and we just want a chance to prove ourselves, which I I can't wait. You know, you give us a backyard barbecue, give us a stadium, and and I know we're ready. I know, I'm, and I, and I know that because I'm first of all I'm I'm the guy behind the drums. So okay, I got that. But I know what Daniel's about. I know what, what Pete's about. I, and, and the cool thing is, okay, it's just the three of us, and we're going to throw down. It's going to sound like six of us. We just need to figure out a way to get those opportunities, and, and most of it is, is spreading the word and people digging what they hear. Yeah, well, I, Brian, I can't wait to hear the rest of the stuff. I, the single's brilliant. Well, thank you very much. So I, I take a... Uh, all, all the parts of the, that song you like the most, those are the parts I wrote. The parts you don't really like as much, those are the parts <laughs> <I got> to <laughs> uh, All right, Brian, well, I'm going to leave you go. So have a good rest of the day. It's been a pleasure talking to you. 
All right. Thanks, man. Nice talking to you. Yeah. Take care of yourself. All right. All right. Bye. bye. There you go. There is Richie's chat with uh, Brian Tishy all about uh, his little past history as well as his brand new band, Silverthorn. And uh, just so you know, Silverthorn, all one word, stick an E at the end, you get Silverthorn. So if you're up at like Amazon, you want to get the whole single there for Tear the Sky Wide Open. You can go up there and uh, put in Silverthorn, spell it the right way, and it'll come up. And I think that thing is going up there for, I think, a buck twenty-nine right now. So uh, support Brian and the rest of the band and pick up that single. And I got to say also while I'm at it that a lot of people online are really praising the uh, the vocals on this as well by uh, by Pete Shoulder. So uh, good stuff there as well. It bodes well for the rest of the uh, the remaining four songs that are going to be seeing the light of day for this EP. Anyways, that is it for this week. Not really sure yet what's going down next week. What else is new, right? Got a lot of audio. Richie and I just kind of have to go through it and decide uh, exactly what we're going to do, whether we get time for some more discussion as well to go with things or if I'm doing a whole other thing just by myself. But, uh, you know, it'll come up next week, and uh, you'll know uh, when I know exactly what the heck we're doing. But anyways, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.